Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wish. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that you would please use every word in this sermon and every thought focused or stray that it inspires, that every feeling that emerges or question that is provoked uh, would be helped and used by your spirit to lead us closer as a community to the faith and service to which you desire for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Wow, what a weekend that we have had at Westminster Presbyterian Church. By the end of this service, or today, at the end of this day together, we will have celebrated not one, not two, but three infant baptisms. At 8.30, we celebrated with Merritt. Merritt Stunts, who has been given a love so vast by God it need not ever be merited. I just meant sincerely, but thank you. Today, we've baptized sweet baby James, who as the great-grandchild of such faithful members and of such a faithful family, we see in a God whose loving kindness extends from generation to generation. And then yesterday, a rare Saturday baptism when we welcomed into the fold a dear child named Maisie, for whom the healing waters of the baptismal font coursed through the live streams of Facebook. Let us rejoice and be very glad that three times this weekend we have cradled a child in the grace of Jesus Christ. Three times we will have made promises to tend the lambs and feed the sheep of God's fold. Three times we have said yes to the claim of Christ on our lives and on these beloved children of God who in the power of the Holy Spirit are our very brothers and sisters in faith. So speaking of threes, you heard today three times in today's text that Jesus asked Simon Peter, do you love me? Three times Simon Peter said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
like that guy on Jeopardy, currently getting every answer correct. Peter answered every question correctly. He too, like us, could rejoice and be glad for the opportunity that he was given to risk being asked and to respond well to the asking of being like a good shepherd to the sheep. But like the church that Peter would come to represent and symbolize, Peter did not always do so well with the questions, especially when his own life seemed to be in jeopardy. Recall the scene before the crucifixion, when shivering in the cold and fear of Jesus' arrest, Peter three times responded negatively to those who suspiciously asked, Hey, aren't you a disciple of Jesus? No, I am not, he said. Three times the wrong answer. From Peter, and too often from the church. In a recent podcast on spirituality, I heard a woman tell the story uh, of the 14-carat gold cross necklace that her grandmother gave to her for Christmas when she was 16 years old. This is not the necklace she gave her. I stole this from upstairs. (laughs) But that necklace was something she wore every day. That cross was as much a part of her everyday life as her name. But at some point, the granddaughter found herself leaving the necklace at home more and more as she went on with her day, occasionally wearing it on a Sunday until the day came when she could not bear to wear that necklace at all, especially on a Sunday. The gold cross on that necklace no longer sparkled in her eyes, and it It wasn't the carats of gold, but the extent of the chasm, the vast break between the church that she desired and the church that she experienced. In her eyes, the church had shown her more judgment than love, had inflicted more trauma than healing, had offered more exclusion than welcome. So that cross came to symbolize a faith that no longer fit. Too many times the church said no when the right answer would have been a yes. And so she locked her gold chain necklace in the jewelry box where it remained a token of appreciation for her grandmother but no longer a symbol of a faith that she once held. What will happen to that grandmother's gift? What will happen to the faith of the granddaughter who once wore it and the church community to which she once belonged? A community called the church that can get it so right and can get it also so so very wrong. These are future-oriented concerns and questions. And these future-oriented concerns and questions about the community of faith are very much at the heart of John's gospel. Scholars largely believe that today's chapter, which includes the story of fish at breakfast and of questions to Peter, 
But this chapter was a later addition to the original text, in part because the prior chapter ends fairly cleanly, and because some of the narrative details in the following chapter do not seem to line up exactly with those that precede it. However, no ancient manuscript of the Gospel of John excludes this resurrection account. And increasingly, commentators are able to see how this account very much belongs and connects to and fits with the concern about the future community of faith, that concern that pervades the entire gospel. A prime example of this concern in John is found in the farewell discourse. It's five chapters where Jesus prepares the disciples for their life after he has been crucified. And in those pages, Jesus washes their feet so they may know how to love one another. He breathes on them the gift of the Holy Spirit that will abide with them as an advocate. He prays on their behalf to the God that he called Father in the hopes that they might be one with God that Father as one as he was so that they would be one with him. And in that unity, they would find their strength and devotion. To borrow from Richard Rohr, an author and often heard speaker these days in some circles, with these gifts and in that unity that Jesus offers, everything belongs. All that was good in Peter and all that wasn't, all belong and are part of the moment when with great conviction Peter said yes instead of no. Will you note with me how Jesus began his questioning to Simon by addressing him as Simon, son of John? This is the very same salutation that Jesus used to address Simon in their first encounter, where Jesus gave Simon a new name, Peter, the Greek word for rock. Calling him son of John signals to Peter and to all of us who hear these words that this moment, this encounter, these questions encapsulate all of the moments in Peter's life as a disciple. Moments when Peter was rock solid and rock headed, rock steady and rock stubborn. In one moment, Peter was so steadfast, refusing to abandon Jesus when others did. And in others, he could deny him like that. And he could be so obstinate that he would refuse Christ's gesture to wash his feet. Forget that the servant cannot be greater than the master. Hard-headed and hot-headed both, Simon Peter would brandish a sword at Christ's arrest, cutting off the ear of a Roman servant as though Jesus' arrest and crucifixion could be halted as though Jesus could be denied his glory by a mere weapon of war. So in giving Simon Peter the chance to say yes instead of no, to say three times the right answer instead of the wrong one, Jesus redeems Peter's denials and brings into that belonging the full arc of Peter's life, his successes and his failures, his rock-solid strength and his hard-headed indignation. Upon this strong foundation, Peter becomes, like Christ, a good shepherd 
tending and feeding the sheep of God's fold. In that moment, Jesus proclaims to Peter that unlike in Peter's youth, he would not fearfully cling to his life, but give it away in such a way that would glorify God. So that Peter would say yes to the invitation to follow him and not flee. The Presbyterian Book of Confessions contains the brief statement of faith which says, In life and in death, we belong to God. Which is another way of saying it all belongs. The good and the bad, the success and the failure, the death and the life. In Christ's resurrection, which is not the same thing as restoration, in his resurrection, life becomes stronger than death, maybe even because of it. We know that when a bone breaks, it becomes stronger after it, was, after it has mended, stronger than it was before. That's not just calcium. That's Christ. That's a bodily manifestation of this moment in John when the three no's of Peter are mended into the yeses to form a stronger disciple than the naysayer that came before it. We find that resurrection and that mending permeates all of creation. A year or so ago, a dear friend of mine and I had a significant break in our relationship. There were mutual feelings of betrayal and judgment, not unlike the granddaughter who felt betrayed by her church. But out of that chasm, out of that break, through forgiveness and time and communication, came a stronger friendship than existed before. That kind of moment is mimicked any time there is a misunderstanding that is cleared up or a hurt that is addressed and shared and forgiveness is offered. The original relationship which was broken is now stronger than ever before. Likewise, when a loss leaves a hole in our lives that we can never fill Trees and flowers and plants can grow all around it, creating a more vivid canopy than was there before the loss. That is life in Christ. That is the threefold yes when there was before the triplet of negativity. Many in the church world today are mourning the death of Rachel Held Evans, who died at a far too young age of 37. She was a so-called progressive writer of Christian theology and scripture who was known in part for her departure from the evangelical world in which she was formed. Ironically, or in the wisdom of today's text, that break in that relationship led her actually to become far more evangelical than she had been before. Evangelical not in terms of how she interpreted the Bible or spoke of her faith, but in the way in which her faith and her acknowledgement of her doubts inspired and evangelized, evangelized the gospel to so many who would otherwise 
not be able to hear it. I have to believe that in her death, many more will be moved by her life. That is an example of resurrection. That's the power that the risen Christ showed Peter in asking him three times, Do you love me? Christ's power and this command to tend the sheep gives us, the church, our hope that where we have failed, the, pace, the places of our breaks can be mended into something stronger. That where we have felt loss, we may be strengthened in gain. And that the church, who over the time of centuries in rock-headed and stone-hearted ways has made people flee from this faith and hide their crosses in their jewelry boxes, can have the opportunity three times over to nurture new entrants into that faith, to tend the lambs, to tend and feed the sheep, to say, yes, I will follow you, even as it asks of me my life. Jesus stands in the gaps between the great chasms of our life, the chasm between forgiveness and wrongdoing, between life and death, between divinity and human life in the fullness of the divine. He stands in that chasm with his arms spread wide, spread wide as before on the cross, but now his hands coarse with the blood of life. And with a firm grip, he holds it all together such that everything and everyone belongs. And all that is broken can form even stronger bonds. That Jesus sings, Do you love me? 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 Yes, I love you. And not because we can do the mashed potato, but because of the resurrection twist that what was lost can be gained. That the contours of our hope carry us to see in brokenness the possibility resurrection, not just restoration. And all of this may lead us to take the necklace of our faith out of its wooden boxes and place it on the infant necks of those whom God loves and whom we have been blessed to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.